Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining us is a senior writer and producer at CNN, CNN.com, and the author of Children of the Movement. He has a piece uh, last week, week before, called White Supremacy with a Tan. Let me welcome John K. Blake. Hi. Thank you. Listen, um, I was asking you during a break where are you from because, you know, we chit-chat. I try not to talk too d- deeply about what we're going to talk about. And you were saying you were from Baltimore. And then, of course, I had to ask. Or No, you, I asked you where you were from, and you responded. Tell us where you're from. You said Baltimore, but where? Yeah, I'm from, uh, uh, I guess, a, a notorious, famous neighborhood in Baltimore, uh, West Baltimore. And uh, it's the setting for the HBO series The Wire. So the wire's been in the news, unfortunately, past week because of the passing of Michael Williams. And um, but yeah, the wire. When I saw the wire, that's literally the school I went to. That's the the bus stop I stood on, you know, to catch uh, to go to school in the, in, the, in the afternoon. In fact, some of the nicknames of some of the characters in the show, I knew people with those nicknames. So that's my home. And I asked you, were you mad? I I said, were you mad when it came out? Because, you know, it's like cultural appropriation, like they they doing a whole piece on my neighborhood. What the hell? No, actually, um, I had two big responses. One is uh, I just tried to avoid it because I didn't want to look at it and remember, you know, a lot of bad memories from from childhood. But the second reaction that, you know, relates to your question, um, I, I, I was glad that people were paying attention. Um, because I think one of the worst aspects of racism is indifference when people don't even see, they don't even see how humanity. So I think because of that show, people saw people like, well, I never knew anyone like Omar, but they saw people in the neighborhood that I knew as more fully human, as more complicated than the stereotype. So I wasn't mad that the HBO series Wire came out. Okay. All right. Um, this piece uh, caught my eye and I immediately reached out to you on Twitter uh, because, you know, we, we talk, I'm trying to figure out how not to talk about race and racism, but it won't go away. And I was talking to you during a break. It feels like whiteness is a virus that is infecting all of us. You know, we can't just kind of wrap our hands around it and like rip it apart and throw it out because it's in us. And then your piece kind of spoke to it, you know, on the heels of the census coming out and so-called white folk losing their minds because their their numbers are going down. And we've been talking about, you know, the shift in racial demographics. There are already, I think, five states that are already, quote unquote, majority, minority, whatever that means. But you 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 posit something else in this piece, John K. Blake, that racism kind of won't go away. Talk about that. Yeah, what I was trying to say in my piece is that a lot of us have been going around the past couple of years with this myth. And this myth is about what we call the browning of America. And this myth says that in the future, when white people are no longer the majority and people of color are the majority, that racism will gradually fade away, that white supremacy is going to be in the rear view mirrors. Why? Because we have all these interracial unions. We have all these black and brown people. There's going to be such a mixture of racials in it, I mean, races in the future that racism will will just just go. And I think it's a myth and it's dangerous myth because I think and actually, as you have more racial diversity in the future, we can actually have more racism. Racism can be more entrenched. And what I said is that white supremacy will be like a virus, it will adapt and we'll have white supremacy. The color might change a little bit. It might be a little browner, but it will still be the same thing. It will be white supremacy. Jesus Christ. 
So we we looked at the virus differently. You know, I think we're all already infected by it. Like it's sort of like a standing yes. virus, like cancer cells. We all have them, you know, yeah. just whether or not they're going to be activated. So what do we do? Like, what's the, what's the, what do we... <laughs> Well, the, you know, the virus, I mean, as far as the treatment, I, I talk about it in the piece. I mean, I think one thing we have to do is to abandon this myth that just because you see all these uh, interracial couples and biracial children now, and just because you turn on TV, it's like every commercial I'll see there's an interracial couple. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have to abandon the myth that that's going to, like, do away with racism. And I think that's the first thing. But it's it's hard not to buy into that myth because I talk about that in the story because it is so it is so encouraging to see that. I, I talk in the story about how I am the ch- child of a biracial couple. So growing up biracial in West Baltimore was pretty tough. And when my parents got together, I mean, ra- interracial marriage wasn't even illegal. They were harassed. My father was arrested. My mother's family disowned her for being with the black man. It was all this mess. So when I see these interracial couples and all. I was like, oh, that's great. It's wonderful. We're about to enter this brown new world where color doesn't matter. No, I think we have to abandon that myth one. And I think two, I think we're gonna, what I said, ultimately, I think we have to do away with the whole notion of race. Race, as we know, is a biological function. It's a political reality. If I'm stopped by a police officer at midnight, I can say, hey, race is, <laughs> race is a myth. But he ain't going to buy that. So I know there's a reality to it, but I think ultimately we have to get to that place. So listen, I I think we see a little bit of this already, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I continue to believe that white supremacy is a team sport and the team is getting more and more diverse every day. You can look at, you can look at what's going on in California uh, in the governor's race. You can look at the, the folks that have been, you know, you can look at the Trump era and see that black folks, Latino folks, all were, were down for the cause, especially if the money is right. And it's right. good money in white supremacy. Right. Right. How do we how do we get to a place to where we have that conversation across air quotes racial lines? Because the black experience is not the Latinx experience. And the power that we think that we are gonna get from being the the minority majority comes from people getting together, being on the same page. And we saw in these last few elections, and you can see it when you are black and in certain parts of, uh, at at a Dominican barbershop in New York, or any of those things is that we are not on the same page culturally, right? Or you can see it if you buy something, buying something in a Korean shop in LA. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we start having that conversation for real, for real across air quotes racial lines amongst minorities? Well, I, I think I think the conversation starts with some of the things you just said to realize that we have different cultures, different histories, different experiences. Um, I think that's the start. You know, we're not just as like, for example, when people talk about Latino people. We think there's just one group, but just being with my wife and my family, God is complicated when it comes to Latino people and the little petty robberies and all that. But ultimately, I think um, we have to go beyond conversations. To answer your question, I think, I think change comes ultimately through relationships. I don't think we can change people through giving them information, uh, telling them this, that, 
this is a history of race. You have to do this. You have to do that. I have found that the way that I have changed the most of my life is ultimately through relationships. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying we don't address justice. There are issues of justice and power that we have to address, like voting rights, you know, equity in the justice systems, all that. But ultimately, this is going to sound so old-fashioned when I say this. I think we need something like integration. We've never really, we've never, <laughs> we've had this kind of situation in our country where people live so segregated and races live apart and people don't know each other. What do they say? 75% of white Americans don't have a friend of color. I think ultimately we need more than conversations. You need relationships over time. And I think that will ultimately help, but you can't do that without justice as well. John, John K. Blake, uh, producer, CNN, uh, author of Children of the Movement. How, how, how? 75% of people are segregated by choice. 75% of white, white, so-called white Americans want to be segregated. They want to, in New York City, which I used to cover education, the schools, you can have a 99.9% .9 white school in New York City, one of the most diverse cities in our union. How is that possible? By choice, people want to be segregated. So you're talking about relationship. I don't know how your parents got together to produce this beautiful man. I don't know how that happened. Um, and maybe you can share a little bit, but I think you're absolutely right. But in order to have relationships, you know, we could work with folk and right. we don't have relationships. They force us to go Taco Tuesday right. and go out to drink. And they still don't know us because most black people are code switching for their own safety, right? right. And their own security within right. a job. So they will never know us. And right. it it is like, to me, the chasm that can't be traversed because people like to be in their own tribes of comfort. Right. Now, you raise an excellent uh, question because what I've often said to my friends when we talk about, for example, residential segregation, like how often do we have to keep chasing them? We move into their neighborhood, they move away. We move into their, we send our children to their schools, they send their children away. Do we keep chasing them when they don't want to be around us? And that is a huge problem. I, I do think though that there is a segment of white America and particularly younger white Americans who, who won't run away, who, who want to be around people who are different. I know this word diversity is overused, but I think there are people out there like who, who, don't, who don't want to live this, this really segregated lives. And that's part of my hope that we can All do right. that. Here's how I see it. Um, and John is here and Drew is here. Drew McCaskill's here. I think, and I think you're right. We've been chasing, please, please, please. White people accept us. Please love us. Right, please. Right. We're, we're fine. We're just as beautiful. We just, we're just as talented. We're just as smart. I say we stop doing all of that and just be great. And y'all stay your 75%, but do it without, with, without our, our greatness. Stop, stop playing our music and doing our TikTok dances and, and right. using our ingenuity in your companies and let's, you know, double down on the things that we are and who we are. And I feel like naturally, because black people are not naturally hateful towards people who are not black, right? Naturally, we mm. actually welcome everybody in. This is how you know, you know, a person that's rejected by their community can always come and get a plate at Big Mama's table. It's how we've exactly. been. I think right. if we just double down and stop trying to be accepted, and just love on ourselves, eventually they're gonna be like, damn, um, what we need them. I mean, let's stop separate like our if our neighborhoods are the dopest neighborhoods because they're coming back in. So right. as we chase them, they come back <laughs> and push us out, and that's how we get gentrification. And it's this horrible like dog chasing the tail. Let's stop chasing. Let's just sit, sit in our greatness. That's how I feel. 
I hear what you say, and, and, and that, that makes so much sense to me. The, the, the problem I have, the, it's not even a problem, it's a challenge. It's something I don't know the answer to. I get that because I live in Atlanta, predominantly black suburb, proudly black, we're not chasing them. The question I have, how do we get equal resources? When we're separate from them, we, I don't know of hardly any situation where we get the same quality of schools or neighborhoods, the same resources. It's the separate but equal, but it never turns out to be equal. That's the problem yeah. that I, I, I find if we don't try to pursue some form of real integration, not the, not the type of integration where you send three black kids to an all white school and they, and they can't be themselves, they can't bring their culture with them. I don't know any other way that we get equal resources without somehow living among people who are different where our fates are intertwined with theirs. Don't we, don't most of these places like Atlanta have black leadership? Mississippi, oh, yeah. uh, Jackson. No. Huh? Yeah. I, I'm asking a question with, with a specific yeah. reason, okay? Should yeah. we demand more? Because we send the same number of Congress people and senators, right? Yeah. But they're, but they're coming back with, you know, less resources with the same amount of power. So are we asking and requiring more of the people? So I feel like we, 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 we get, and I'm going to say this, y'all go ahead, y'all can at me. A Maxine Waters gets a pass, even if there aren't any receipts coming back because she reclaimed her time. I feel like, you know, we're happy to have a seat at the table with certain folk in Congress uh, or even local politics because they, you know, representation matters, but we're not asking any Barack Obama's president. We didn't ask him for a damn thing. We were happy to take pictures at the White House with he and Michelle. And we haven't asked. And then we're mad when other people get things that they've re- asked for. Like most recently, Joe Biden's administration's asked by the Asian community for what? A, a bill that he signed. Into, and then we're like, well, where's ours? And I'm saying, where was the lobbying? Like, where was the pressure to make that happen? Because Joe Biden's not president without black people, period. Period. And Atlanta did save everybody. Thank you, Drew, for wearing that sweatshirt. Without Atlanta, there's no Warnock. There's no Ossif. There's right, no right, uh, power right, right. for this president right now. So I feel like we 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 don't ask for more, which is why we have not. We don't ask. We ask not. I, am I being naive in that? No, I mean, that's your, I mean, that's your opinion. I, I wouldn't say you're being naive. I mean, I mean, definitely. uh we look, for example, people are talking about the new infrastructure bill that's being uh, you know, debated now. And what I read this morning is that HBCUs expected all this financial support and, and help in this bill, and now it's gone. So what happened? So I can see people saying, just because we have black people in power doesn't mean that we've arrived, that we have to hold them accountable. And I certainly saw that in Baltimore. Baltimore has a history of black mayors going back to the late 60s, but we've had awful, Black mayors, corrupt, not serving the community. And in the neighborhood I grew up, a lot of the Black people definitely felt abandoned by Black political leaders in the Black middle class. So I'm aware of that. But at the same time, I'm in Georgia. And I I just saw what happened this past November. I saw all these Black people getting out to vote. And I, I think people in this state, at least, are expecting, are demanding things from people like, you know, Senator Warnock. So it's, it's yeah. different here. Maybe it's a little different. Of, I think in Baltimore, there's a little bit more despair, but down here, people voting, people are expecting results and they're demanding things. Listen, I, I, I agree with you, Karen. I think, I, I believe that we, that we have not, cause we asked not. I've got 
uh, my my city council person. I'm trying to talk to my neighbors right now on how to get rid of my city council person in my district. And my next door neighbor, older black lady said, she said, I don't, she's been in that, she's been sitting in that seat for 24 years. Um, and folks will literally get up out the grave to come vote for Cleveland. And I was like, but that's the problem. We gotta, we gotta figure out something else because in 27 years, the, the, the receipts aren't there. And so I think it's, I think you're right, Karen. I think it's gonna be incumbent upon people to demand more and make that a part of make that a part of the account, make accountability a part of the excitement of the of the we're gonna get you in. Is that we are, we're gonna get you in and we're gonna hold you accountable once you get there. Like those, that's a that's a and sentence. Right. Uh, John, John uh, wrote this amazing piece. Uh, in it, he talks about, you know, the elasticity of whiteness. And you have this picture of Italian immigrants. And a couple right. of them look darker than my uncles and them, my daddy. Right. And I'm, right. I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, we've been talking about this and there's several books about, you know, the Irish and then the Italians and the Jews wax and wane. They, they let them in sometimes when it's convenient and not other times. And it always makes me laugh when my Jewish brothers and sisters identify as being white. And I said, how? Really? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I remember, you know, this eugenics thing happened in America and at Harvard that Hitler used the Jim Crow laws to craft these Nuremberg laws that basically, you know, led to, you know, the decimation of people in Europe who are Jewish. So how are you white? Like, how, but the identification means something, which is why it is very much like a virus that infects all of us. Uh, and even how we move among one another is like anti-black, you know, in, right. in a lot of ways where we, we, we give passes, but we, we don't know how to navigate when things aren't right. We get real nasty with one another. And, you know, it's just it's it's interesting. I'm, but I'm hopeful. Right. Because then I watch uh, some uh, what's it um, Big Brother. And yeah, I'm going to take a left right now. And black people in a house uh, designed basically as a social experiment, made a pack day one called the cookout. And all six black people made it to the to the final six. Okay. In America, which I knew would happen because secretly we do stick together. So it's a, it's a complicated, and these were black people from different, you know, you had half Indian, half black, half Mexican, half black. You had, you know, even the Hispanic was the seventh half white, half Hispanic person still wasn't white. Seven people of color made it to the final. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm hopeful at the same time. I'm, I don't know what to make of this. Cause I feel like, it's still about power. It's not really whiteness is about power, which means that it has to control the 99% of us well, <laughs> to yeah, fight each other. That's what, yeah. That's what I tried to point out in my article. Um, I said that the future of whiteness could come down to Latino people in this country. Yep. They're the second largest ethnic group. And I definitely see that dynamic in my family. I have Latino people in my family that identify more as white and those that identify more as black. And, and the, uh, the question I pose is, why would more Latino people in the future identify as white? Well, the answer is simple, because whiteness gives you status, gives you power, economic opportunity. And that's gonna be very difficult for some Latino people to turn down for them and their children. And we don't have to theorize about why, because we see that dynamic right at work throughout Latin America, countries like Brazil and Cuba. They say, we're beyond race. Look, we have all these mixed people, but the people who are in power are the white people. Yeah. 
The people who are on TV are the white people. Yeah. That allure, you can't make me believe that the allure of whiteness is not going, that, that there are lots of people who are not going to succumb to that, to that allure of whiteness, uh, particularly right. if you have straight hair and light skin, you know, right. naturally, like I, 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 that's the part that makes me, that has always made me skeptical about minority majority narratives is because I, a lot of Latinos just do not see themselves as non-white. And a lot of Asians definitely see themselves as white people. Well, you spent time, you said, is it Shanghai? Yeah. So I don't, maybe you can help me with this. I've heard that even if you go over to the East, places like Vietnam, Cambodia, you see people losing, uh, using skin whiteners. That yep. the idea of beauty is to be pale, pale, and to be very fair. Did you encounter some of that when you? Absolutely. I when uh, it, it's it's hot as hell in Shanghai, right? Like the only place that I've been hotter than Shanghai is the swamps in Louisiana, and I can tell you that that women would have umbrellas like you would see in like old antebellum slave movies and things like that to block out the sun when they're walking down the street so that they do not get tanned. Wow. Colorism in colorism in Asia is a big deal because part of the caste system is set up on you're white, you're right. Right. And you're black, you get back. That is that is that is embedded in Asian cultures, Latin cultures. Right. It is absolutely a thing. And Absolute. it follows them to other places when they immigrate as well. Yeah. So what you talked about is what I mentioned in my article. Ultimately. We're going to have to deal with this racial hierarchy that gives status and power and beauty to those who look white and lesser socioeconomic status to those who look black. And I point out a little bit of history. This thing was created, like some people say, 500 years ago, whatever, but it was created to justify slavery and colonialism. So we think this thing that has been around for 500 years that shape shifts, that adjusts, that we just going to get rid of it because we got more biracial couples, more interracial children, more Latino people, we continually underestimate the power and durability of white supremacy. And we underestimate the, the precedent of apartheid and mm. other parts of the world, right? I mean, you, if you, if you want to look at the Senate, the Senate is well on its way to being an example of apartheid as well. I mean, you got to think about... I mean, you talk, talk about the Texas legislatures. Yeah. What did yeah. they just do which was basically a minority group of people making a decision for the majority of folk um, in Texas. It's, Correct. It's already here. Yeah. I'm optimistic yeah. though. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. I don't know why John K. I don't know why John K. Blake. That I'm optimistic. No, I am too. I, no, I am. I, there, there's somebody that um, I didn't quote in the article that you that we're talking about white supremacy with the tan. But he said some things that really helped me. And there's a professor by the name of uh, Carlos Hoyt, H-O-Y-T. And I remember talking to him once, I, like, I asked him, how do you expect to get rid of this racial hierarchy that's been around for 400, 500 years, that's been used to justify slavery and colonialism? We can't get rid of this idea. It's too embedded. We're too tribal. He told me, well, you know, there was once a time when everyone believed that there, pretty much everyone believed the earth was flat. There was once a time when people accepted child labor. There was once a time not too long ago that people thought that something was wrong with people who were gay. But look at those, those changes. 
ideas, they can be radical change. Things can change. It might not seem like it, but it can happen. And a lot of times when it happens, it happens a lot more quickly than we ever thought. All right. What are you thought? What are your thoughts about this? Because I'm, I'm. We, you were just talking about Asia, and the the biggest name in Japan right now is Naomi Osaka. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the most famous. I just, uh, I didn't watch the U.S. Open, but the U.S. Open had two finalists: one from Great Britain, mm-hmm. England; one from Canada. Uh-huh. Both of them with melanin. Both of these young yeah. ladies, 18 and 19 years old. I ain't talked too much about it, but I was like, oh, I don't know where they're from, but I know they're not white. Right. No one's talking about it. Two the, in the women's finals, uh, and the young lady from Great Britain won. I can't remember her yeah. name. Uh, Emma. She's not, I'm a big tennis fan, so okay. I, I know. Yeah. They're not white. Neither one of them. Biggest names in tennis. We got Coco Golf. We got the, the Williams sisters. We got, you know, I mean... Tennis, which was lily white, literally, they wore white. This, this is like the whitest sport next to golf. Right. I think sports now and all hockey is being being overtaken by black superstars. We already see it in s- soccer, football, other sports, but hockey, which is a bastion of whiteness, baseball. I think in many ways that to me, I don't know that acceptance, the ability to be able to root for somebody who doesn't look like you is is a great entry point to. Uh, being able to love people who don't look like you uh, and beyond your thoughts. Does that give you hope more hope when you see that? I, it like, gives me it- hope. Yes. It gives me hope. Also the ages, because I think kids that are 18, 15, 16, th- those kids are not as infected with the virus. They don't have a bigger virus, as big a viral load as their right. parents and grandparents. Right. <laughs> and so it can be eradicated in them really easily because yeah. the people that they idolize and love you know, especially if they're white, it used to be like rap music. Somehow there was a con- cognitive dissonance where 70% of rap was purchased by white boys in, in the, in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But that was almost like um, fetish. It was more of a fetish than it was like, I'm part of the culture. Right. This, right. this, these young people are immersed with the culture. It's like, yeah. it's not, it, they, it's not separate from their DNA. So yeah. I feel mm-hmm. more optimistic about it. I don't That's know. <laughs> you know well, like I do too. Yeah, no, I do too. I mean, you know, when you talked about the U.S. Open, I was thinking that it was kind of a rebuke to the turn this country took under President Trump. The idea that you make the country stronger by keeping out immigrants and these particularly immigrants of color. But, you know, in the tennis world, we they see these people like Emma, the, the British woman who won, and Layla Fernandez, you know, the other woman of color from Canada. These are the people that they see as champions who they're a great look for the sport. But also in the tennis world, the people that tend to excel are the children of immigrants. I don't know if you know any immigrants. My wife is an immigrant. I have never been around somebody who works so hard. I mean, they bring a vitality. They bring an energy to a country. They help a country. And I think they definitely help tennis and the tennis world knows it. And I think hopefully people will start to see that immigrants help this country too. Well, those are people with a certain particular kind of DNA. Not many people have left their blocks, left their neighborhoods, but these people have left their whole countries and family members to come someplace that they may not speak the language, don't know the culture, with no help, a lot of folk, with nobody that has their back, and to hit the ground and actually make a way takes a certain kind of fortitude that many of us don't have. So why wouldn't we want those people? That's I don't what I'm know. saying. Uh, cuz yeah, you're I afraid think. that you can't compete with them because you're you're lazy and weak and 
Yeah. So you're afraid. You're afraid that somehow they're going to take food off your table. But that's the food you would never eat anyway. Because it was because yeah. you didn't you didn't even make the table. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, let's keep having this conversation. I'd love to have you back on, John K. Blake, Thank to you. talk about other things you're working on. It was nice meeting you. Um, Thank you. Great work. We tweeted out the article. Everyone should read it. We're going to keep talking about it. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.